0: Well, it's been uh, it, it's we have we have the fall. I know I've talked about this a little bit, but we've got it's the weather's colder. It's no longer hot here. We're not using the big fans that we had here in in Amsterdam. And I I have it's a big big uh, I forget this may this is last week. I broke out with the house slippers, Brandon. Ooh. You know, there's this transition you go through where you can and and in Texas it's a lot longer, but you can walk around barefoot, right? Because like your feet don't get cold, and then and then you at some point. You're going to need to wear house slippers, even in Texas, because your feet are just going to be cold all the time and you need house slippers. Now, in a single story house or a house in which the stairs are covered in carpet, very American style house, you might be able to get away with wearing socks for a while. Right. But in my house, we have three stories uh, and they they really they're slippery. They're Dutch staircases. So like you basically will kill yourself. Uh, And so you can't wear socks because also you're carrying a baby around and you don't want to slip so forth and so on. So you got to bust out the house slippers. And I have I found these 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 slippers that uh, Kim bought for me in New Zealand. They're pretty intense. They've got actual uh, sheep skin in them. And they actually have like this tread that I think has more of a sole on the bottom of the shoe than most dress shoes that do. But they're very warm. And all I want to say, this is a tip. Uh, is when we bought these shoes, they were a little too big. They, I, I would wear them and they would slide around, but that's because I wore them without socks. And one day, last week, I put them on with socks on, and they're snug. They fit really well. So that's my, that's my uh, uh, what do you call it, your PSA? My, my message, my public service announcement is it's getting colder. If you have some house shoes that you think don't fit well because they're big, try them with socks on, and uh, I think you'll, you'll, your feet will be pleased.
1: All right, a couple quick uh things for the audience here. One they didn't for those listening probably didn't see it because it's uh audio not a visual platform or visual medium, but like hey, you've gone with like the three quarter high high top kind of uh style. Oh or, yeah, or I guess yeah. length. So yeah, I think you gotta go there. And then it's like yeah. what about your uh oh, yeah. for lack of a better word, do you have a strong opinion on the the fur, the filling, the like is is that like uh the high end like sheepskin or is that yeah, synthetic? Yeah. doesn't that matter? Like what, where do you come down on that?
0: I mean I mean, you know we could have a whole discussion about uh not only uh veganism but also sustainability or whatever but like i right. i think i think you're going to start with the assumption that you're going to have genuine sheep skin right now mm-hmm. i don't know it could be ram skin maybe it's icelandic sheep i don't know these are from new zealand so it's new zealand sheep Ooh. right but but you want to have you want to have like the real you always want to have the local real flavor right so that's why i have the the two Icelandic, uh, you know, sweaters that are made out of Icelandic sheep. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I go to Ireland, you buy the Irish sweater made out of Irish sheep, so forth mm-hmm. and so on, right? But yeah, you definitely are going to want the, uh, the, 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 the fur in there. I have another pair of house shoes that also have sheep, uh, you know, the sheep fur in there, which is also great. Uh, but yep, you want real stuff in there.
1: All right. Well, I just throw that to all the listeners here because uh, I I've, I've definitely sent some stickers to all of those parts of the world, and I feel like New Zealand. I mean, if this is the wheelhouse for New Zealand, I feel like this is it. Mm-hmm. Like, feels like they would have the best slippers. So, someone from New Zealand could could recommend what they buy in New Zealand. Let me know. Send it to me uh, at uh, questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com dot com or in the Slack. You know, just put it in there, and I'll I'll tell everyone because that seems like if we got to go, you know, core competency here, sheep. New Zealand slippers that feels like they own that market. Like we should, you know, you're not coming to Texas for that, right? You're not coming to Texas for anything related to that. So please send it to us and we'll do a little uh, public service announcement for everybody about here's the slippers you want.
0: Now, now to close this topic out before we get to the, uh, you know, the, uh, the computer stuff I have been looking for what I would really like to get. And don't, don't, don't tell Kim this because she's opposed to the Levi's jean jacket. For For me, which is fine yeah. uh-huh. but I want I, I gotta get I want get one day the Levi's Jean jacket with the actual sheepskin inside of it, right It's very Ooh. easy to acquire the fake sheepskin just mm-hmm. that's everywhere but I mean I, I'm almost to the point where I feel like I'm gonna have to just buy maybe I go to IKEA and buy that sheepskin thing that they have and I just go to a tailor and I'm like, can you can you put this in here? But you've got to get that whatever that style of sheepskin is that isn't like hair, but it's like the little like compressed you know nubby things. But that's, that's, that's really what I need. That's what I want for Christmas, Brandon, or, or the holidays. And I feel like once I have that, I'm just a fax machine away from
1: my ideal lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Cote, I hope it happens for you. I think you'll be great. You'll rock that well.
0: Now, now speaking of getting to the point where you can afford a genuine, maybe even vintage uh, Levi trucker jacket with sheepskin in it that you can, you can build up <laughs> enough wealth to uh, only communicate with the world through a fax machine. It looks like you and I, Brandon, uh, are doing great because we're in the IT industry because there's this major, I think, now I'm going to put, I, I used to think it was over 10 years, but I'm going to put this out to 20, 30 years. We've got this major transition from on-premises private cloud to public cloud, right? And and as we know, anyone who has studied um, economics or business knows that the primary way to make money is when things shift from point A to, to point B, not to go all patriot on you here, but like it's, it's, it's the movement of things between point A and point B where money is made, right? Because once they get to one place or another, it's paid for already, but you pay for moving. And so there's this huge movement of workloads, IT from on-premises to uh, public cloud. And, you know, I mean, to, to break out of my little jokey thing here, I, I'm not really sure how f- seriously we're supposed to take this. But there was a comment that I have not verified beyond the short article that I read uh, from the AWS CEO, we'll put a footnote here of why it's called a CEO at some point, which we've probably discussed in the past, but that's fine, that his, his, his feeling was that we're only 10% into this movement between on-premises and public cloud uh, at this point, which is to say 90% of IT is on-premises, which I feel like that'd be amazing right? Like that all of us in the entire industry would be set up so well, uh, if that was the case, but I, so breaking out of my little corny thing there, I actually do want the, uh, Levi's trucker jacket with the sheepskin in there. That wasn't a joke, but like, what, what, uh, what do we make of this? Brandon, is that, is that in any way accurate?
1: Well, I think we'll get to that question in a second. I think let's start with kind of the meta point around this. So Adam Slutsky, who's the, obviously took over for Anna, um, Andy Jassy is not he's now the CEO of AWS. So typically in the past, like what uh, Jassy would typically say the last time he gave a keynote, I'd have to like, someone can fact check it, but he would say something around four or 5%, right. Mm-hmm. Is in the public cloud. So two years later, and of course this is on mad money where all your in-depth analysis of everything happens. Right. So like we have to like, to your point, it's just a talking point, but you know as we were maybe discussing kind of uh, off air and maybe this will make it into the uh-huh. the uh, the after show right it's like you know media training i think you know aws is pretty savvy at media training so i don't think he just said 10% without thinking without like yes. oh, it's 10% right so there has definitely been so in the last 2 years if we go back and we were like really to just use the aws uh, public talking points like in the last two years like we've got it's gone up five percent is what i'm gonna say between the jassy comment and this comment so i think That's that in good. itself is very interesting right like that would indicate a tremendous increase in the growth rate of migrations or you know workloads being born in the public cloud so i don't really think we can say in the last two years we've seen like double the adoption like of the cloud like i don't think you could actually say that 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 happened so i think it's interesting more as a talking point because to kind of your original question is like is this accurate and it's like listen i look at all of these surveys just like you like i think this because this is literally the question we're all trying to answer it's like okay how many of how much of the existing uh, infrastructure and workloads exist today and what percent of that is eligible to move to anything, to a new platform, whether it be Tanzu or Kubernetes, whether it be from a data center to Azure, AWS, GCP, whatever. Like every the entire industry is trying to figure that out. So I don't know like if it can even be figured out as to what mm. like how far we really are. And I think that's important because what I keep coming back to is like. This idea that people kind of keep putting in the mind, like if someone says, "Hey, we're only ten percent of the the way there," that that the next ninety percent is going to come, right? And I think maybe that is the trap we're all like kind of like falling into. Is like, no, there may not like there may be some percentage of this that never moves, right? And we can go into like why that may be the case. So maybe it's only. Like, I don't know, like maybe it's 30% never moves. Maybe it's 40% never moves. And I think from a financial standpoint, from an AWS standpoint, there is clearly an advantage from a stock market valuation to have the world believe, as Jeff Bezos wrote in his 2014 uh, annual letter, that he says, quote, I believe AWS market size is unconstrained, end quote, right? So if you are selling stock in a company, like you can have no greater statement that you're selling into a market that has no constraint on its um, upside. Right. And it's like, of course there's a constraint, of course there's some upper limit. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, we kind of kind of think about both the messenger and the message here. And then the final comment on this whole thing is like, well, after 18 years uh, since AWS has been launched, like we'll just take the facts as they uh, are laid out. We're 10% there. So it's like okay so in another 18 years do we think it's going to be another 10% or another 30% or like is there going to be this massive growth rate um uh, because that kind of all plays into this of like what the AWS if you will total addressable market is
0: You know I think I think I know you are a close follower of the reinvent keynotes and and I didn't even think that what we should do is we should pull together a chart that has those numbers in it right and I think I think if you go all the way back to uh I forget S3 came out before EC2, right? If 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 I remember, like whichever one it is, I don't know, S3 was released in 2006. So like you were saying, that's uh, right. 16, 17, however many years. And I feel like, I mean, you could do a chart based just on those numbers and you could start to adjust what the growth rate was and project out and things like that. And that would be, uh, I think I would be satisfied with th- those numbers. That would be good. Like, I don't know if they would necessarily be true, but they would be like, good guidance and then also you know a little bit what you're saying is, well not a little bit two other things you're saying that i think are important to keep in mind is one how many things can actually be moved to the public cloud that's a big unknown right because it's it's a it's a moving target of just like well it depends and then two there's also like as always there is the uh the rate at which things are changing uh which which becomes important but yeah, I think that that would be great to go back and uh, I will never do this, but to find the number in all the annual keynotes and uh, see what it is.
1: But, but also, just, right. I think you, we always want to pair this, though, with like, you know, and this is why I think it's so important to like focus in on who's saying it. Right. Is that like, you know, as we always say, like, what is valuation of a company? A valuation is just today's revenue or earnings mul- multiplied by some story. Right, right, By some, right. You come up with a story, and then you come up with some multiple. You say, and if the story's big, you say this is just the beginning, and I want a thirty, uh, a thirty times multiple, thirty times revenue or fifty times earnings, whatever. And I think, you know, like I think some interesting kind of, um, you know, if you will, like a cold take on Amazon, right, would be like kind of. I'm not saying this is true, but I'm just saying you could come at it this way and say, it's like, you know, Amazon today is well over worth over a trillion dollars. Okay, so Kote, if I just said to you right now, okay give me a trillion dollars and I'm going to give you Amazon, right? How long would it take for you to get your money back? I'm talking about profit there, right? Right. But could right, you? Because right. that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? Is And so if you want to have this massive market cap, like you got to believe that like, yeah, I could get a trillion dollars back at this over some reasonable amount of time. It can't be 300 years, right? It has to be like, you know, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 20 years, whatever. And so, if you kind of came out and said, okay, well, why would, what are some anti, you know, takes on that would be like, well, one, like the retail business, which is Amazon in a sort of, if you will, is so synonymous with is like, maybe that is always going to be a very, very low margin business, right? That, you know, if you will, this idea that you win market share and eventually you just flip the levers and you make more money. That day may never come. Like, you know, it just may get, you know, if you will, get the margin stays smaller and smaller and smaller. And even though you're getting more revenue through it, it continuously stays small. So that would argue that that's like, that's not a high multiple business, right? Mm. And so what what would you do to combat that though? Be like, well, I'm, 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 I'm generating tons and tons of revenue, but like, what would I like to have to go with it? A really profitable business. What would that be? That could be AWS. And what would I like to have in my really profitable business? A quote unquote, Unconstrained market cap because it just means like Absolutely. hey, it doesn't even matter that the retail business doesn't throw off that much cash because we're actually you know making all this money from this other thing, and but if you if you say to yourself well, no, it's not unconstrained. It's only going to be like let's let's be more pessimistic. Only fifty percent of today's workloads were even eligible to really ever run in the public cloud. Then suddenly you have a much more compressed looking thing, right? And you say okay, for the next twenty years, maybe AWS gets a lot of that those workloads but at the same time maybe there's some technological changes and new competitors that even eat away at that right so you know i'm not saying again that's i'm just kind of throwing those out as like s- straw takes if you will for for people to throw uh, darts at to just mix like a bunch of different metaphors but you know the idea is just like hey okay well it's let's just think about who's saying it and think about like what their motivation is and then now let's yeah. then have a conversation about like which workloads and how many workloads can move to the cloud
0: yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta uh tamp down the tam talk that's that if for for your story modifier there like you don't you tams are a trap if if you're trying to uh figure that out but that okay that's good i well you know i think uh uh i'm gonna walk away from this or or sit here away from it and uh i don't know i i you what know, do you think?
1: I, I want to just just give me a i want to set you up for like a little hot take if if you wanna uh-huh. like uh if you want to lean in it's like i don't know like how many like How many workloads today, if we say it's 100%, like how many do you think can really be of that 100% could really be moved to the cloud? Not, and when I say that, not like if we deployed the greatest technology team of all time, they could go in and like find a way to move this workload to a thing. It's more around like, okay, you know, given all the current customers and what people are doing, if you will, the average team, given average resources, um, is going to spend the time and effort to move this application to the cloud. Like how, Mm. Like, what do you think? Like, do you do you have like a your own gut feel? Do you think it's a hundred percent, or do you are you more pessimistic? I think so. Okay, so
0: I, I'll I, mm, let me force myself to give an answer and then explain it. Like, I think I would wager that sixty to seventy percent of workloads could run in public cloud. Now, what does that mean? I think I think the first thing that can't run in public cloud is What we would call edge nowadays, which basically just means uh, like retail stores, like cars and uh, factories, like anything where like you actually need the the compute right next to the thing that it's doing or that it has a bad Internet connection. Right. Like I guess it's conceivable that you could operate like the car, like the floor of a car manufacturing factory from the public cloud but that seems nutty. Like I, I don't know. Nothing seems that good, right? Like
1: uh, we could also just kind of lump some type of real time, you know, low latency. Yeah, yeah. Or or, or or it it, edge, it doesn't, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it does. It doesn't even. It, it's it's not even near real time, but just like let's call it five minutes time, right? Like right. something that that you need a five minute response time too. Um, I mean, you know, even I mean, we've all experienced streaming. Like that shit is not what you want to like run your car manufacturing based on like whatever's right. going on there. Like they, we got, as, as we have covered extensively over the years, we got the best and the brightest working on streaming, like, you know, the Richie Rich reboot to you every night. <laughs> and that still doesn't always work perfectly. Still doesn't work, right? Yeah. So, uh, so that, you know, you take out all of that kind of stuff, right? And, and what that's basically, I mean, I guess, It's not going to be all of your cash machines, your point of sale stuff, because I think like Stripe and Square are all cloud based, right? I don't know if they they run locally. But anyways, I mean, you've got you've got a bunch of stuff
1: like that that you take off the board just because like. So do you say say like 10 percent? So 10 percent, we'll just call it edge real time can't be moved. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Too high, too low, right?
0: Yeah. And then and then, of course, I mean, this is a very small percentage, but it's important because it drives a lot of product management decisions because the following spends a shit ton of money. And that is people with guns, uh, which is to say spies and military
1: people. Right. They always Mm
0: -hmm. want air gapped off the network for very good reasons. Defense
1: spending of any kind. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And so that is speaking of uh, what is the quote? Uh, Unconstrained. Speaking of unconstrained spending, that's what that market is. Uh, basically, right. so so you're always going to have those people, but percentage of workloads wise, it's a pretty small uh, amount. But you got to take that off the board, uh, and then so what you're left with is basically, if you're looking at all of IT except for the absurd things, you've got uh, enterprise applications, right? Your ERP systems and your really boring ERP systems like Workday. Right. And like your OKR engine. And then, you know, <laughs> we already have like payroll at ADP, like not on premises. So that's cool. So more or less all that like back office stuff, I think, is part of cloud. That's all running in the cloud. Like you so, so that you win that workload. So that's on there. And then uh you have like we already have basically most all consumer application in the public cloud, right? Like right. so that's done. And then you're basically just left with like the custom written, the stuff I care about. Well, I'm also going to take out like storage and then maybe we'll come back to like data analytics, which is its own weird thing. I don't quite understand, but Mm -hmm. the bulk of what you're left with is, is like custom written software and it all just depends. Like there's a lot of that, that you could conceivably run in public cloud. And it just comes down to if it's the cheapest, fastest, fastest to deploy option for you. Right. So like like in theory, every single online banking platform out there should run in public cloud. Right? Like it's it's just sort of like I mean, but what job, are we this
1: is the whole thing? We have the mainframe. We have the mainframe, the legacy transaction processing. Right. right, right, right like right. at some point though, it's like you know, it's just very hard to get to an ROI number where it doesn't make sense to be like, hey, let's just upgrade the main framework yeah, yeah. by the latest thing. It's like, so let's just like, let's consolidate. I mean, I, I guess <laughs> I guess maybe the
0: the, the the big thing would be like, at what point does MasterCard run in the public cloud? Like that, that would be like, if you can imagine a world where pretty much all of MasterCard and all that it does runs in the public cloud, then we've achieved maximum cloudage, right? Like right, that's- so let's-
1: I want to summarize and be like, okay, ten percent we're taken off the board because of what we call it real time or edge computing, right? Yeah. yeah I think we're gonna do another two or three percent is off the board. I'm gonna call it defense spending, sovereignty, go. government. Like there's just some political or uh uh financial or you know, kind of geopolitical reason it can't be moved. So that's gonna be anywhere from like one to three mm-hmm. percent. Then I think we throw in um something like probably like seven percent is just Legacy applications where the modernization effort uh, ultimately has negative ROI, like doing all the work to move it over, just would never pay for itself. Yeah, right? yeah and yeah. the fact that like you will probably make mistakes when you move it over, so you would cause all these problems and it won't work. So, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of like I, it's interesting because we we're probably you know way off because we kind of agree, uh, which is always like a sign of the <laughs> sign of maybe bad of oh, uh, genius. Like, gr- of group think, but like maybe 20%. 20% of the workloads are just not, you know, what I'm just gonna say, they're yeah, just off yeah. the board. So so if we kind of like net it all out, then it's like, okay, 20% never move for all the reasons we outline. We've already moved 10%, right? So it leaves us like okay, there's still a lot of money left. So 70% <sighs> is left to go, probably 40%, 50% of that group is like relatively easy to move, but that that part of the, the market's going away pretty fast because if it's easy, it's getting done. And then you're going to be left with like, man, we got, we got maybe 30% here that, that we should move, but like, we got a lot of hard work. Like we got a lot of backbreaking modernization work to go and it's not going to be easy. And, 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 you know, I, I mean, I mean, you know, mainframes
0: and transactions and all of that, but I, I don't know how like automated ad buying online works, but my understanding is it's pretty sophisticated and it has to be transaction driven, right? Because you've got like all of a sudden to like pop up an ad in Facebook or whatever. Like it's done by like these total automated auctions or whatever. Right. And so you've got multiple parties probably in sub 62nd periods, like bidding to place an ad somewhere after analyzing a big stream of text. And then you've got to do a transaction of like, you get the ad and you're going to give me your money. Right. Like, I mean, that's kind of vital to the whole business of advertising. And so like, that sounds like every single other transactionally important type of business ever right and so like if you can do that for like real-time-ish auctions of ads for like buy this belt buckle like you could
1: do that for everything else so of course like i think you know the question you're answering is like could it be done and do we have like technical uh, solutions to similar problems yes and yes now the question then who is motivated To take a large legacy system that is maybe not perfect, but running, Mm, but it's also the backbone to your point about, uh, you know, you're using MasterCard, right? Works really well. You run your credit card. It works 99.9% of the time. I think you figured out, Brandon. Who who is the person that's walking in? Just to finish the thought, who's the person that's like, you know what I want to do? I want to rip all this out and I want to move it over. And at the end of that, you know what they're going to get? Nothing. They're going to get no No one is going to be excited that's that true. they did this that's at true. MasterCard. Maybe they get a keynote at a, a, a cloud provider, but they don't get billions of dollars. The people that want to do that are at Stripe, right? They're going to build something completely new to the side. So that's why you kind of end up with like, hey, there isn't significant motivation For Uh, a a person to walk in and be like, I'm going to do it. Just like this is, I keep saying, you know, I like to use the IRS. This is why the IRS has like, you know, tens of billions of tax returns just sitting there. No one's like, no one is like, I'm going to get this done and make billions of dollars, even though it's probably worth billions of dollars to the United States, you know, taxpayers one way or the other. And so. You know, that's that's the part you have to really become one with and be like, that is why certain applications Mm. are not going to move. And it's not a technology question. It's I think I I think it is problem.
0: You're right. It's a floppy disk problem. That's that's the issue
1: that we. (laughs) it is a floppy. That's well, well said. It is a floppy disk problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think the answer is uh, Amazon needs to buy MasterCard. And then and then our whole that's the way I mean, that's the way that you win any complicated argument is you're just like, ah, premise number 37 destroyed. (laughs) and and that that recontextualizes everything that that would be an exciting antitrust showdown everywhere that'd be fantastic uh i don't know if that would work out but wouldn't wouldn't that be amazing like like amazon owns mastercard and then all of a sudden through a bunch of like story stuff uh that becomes public cloud and then boom you're done the whole the whole framing changes and uh, everything's cool and they would have access to their data centers and their their pipes i'm sure mastercard has super impressive uh global cloud stuff although you know what would be impressive is if i could pay for uh my groceries at albert Heijn with my mastercard <laughs> instead of my their their local brand for debit cards they're maestro uh which is totally uh. fine but you get no points with maestro only with mastercard well you know when it comes to figuring out if 90 percent is on premise or or it's more like 30 uh, percent, i'm looking forward to what i i i, I 'm thinking of in in a only a complimentary way of the the hearing from the Andy Rooney of software defined uh, talk podcast it's on Sunday, I want Gracely to give us some commentary on this to kind of go over his uh, his take on uh, what what this ten percent number is all about if that 's real or not i'll always enjoy that stuff there, except that one episode where he talked about Kurt Cobain and he just kind of uh, missed what was going on there that, that was too bad. <laughs> So uh, related, uh, there, as, as, as another big cloud thing, it looks like I, I, think, I think there has been a, a good collection of, of Google further becoming a normal company. Now, you know, I, I, I always joked, or I always like to joke that whenever I hear people talking about, uh, whenever uh, in the tech world someone says it's time for someone to switch to being a wartime CEO, <laughs> I, I rewrite that as meaning like time to become a CEO. Which is to say, just a normal CEO who's focused on earnings. That's what. That's right. That's right. That's usually what that means. And you know, I was I was reading through. It 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 looks like, as always, Brandon. You can uh, fill in the exact things here, but it looks like there there is some feeling that the growth rates at Amazon are not good enough. They're they're still astonishing. Sorry, at at Google. Google in
1: this case. But yeah, yeah,
0: they're they're still astonishing. They're doing very well, Uh, but they're not quite as good as they need to be. Uh, and so maybe we need to focus a little bit more on uh, on on our productivity our operation stuff and the number was thrown out this is a pretty good pretty good number that we need to up it by 20 percent uh the efficiency and i like i like the uh the quote that was cited here that their ceo is going over it's like you know sometimes we find ourselves in a meeting where there's three people uh and it's kind of inefficient you know it takes three people to make a decision and this goes back to like well Sounds like for a company of your age, you know, twenty three, twenty five years old, you're right up there. You're meet, you're you're ex, you're not only meeting, but maybe even because you're so profitable, exceeding expectations. Because I feel like, and I know this is snarky, but if you only have three people that you're blocking on to make a decision, you're probably operating better than maybe like ninety nine percent of <laughs> other organizations in existence.
1: Right. Right now, I think that's probably a very aspirational statement by him uh, about like, yeah, if it's only three people, it's probably a lot more. But I do think, you know, uh, we talked a lot about last week about Amazons. Uh, they have a whole unit devoted to I, I think we're going to use your phrase. You know, you're the one sort of pushing developer toil, right? Like just like, mm-hmm. well, how long does it take to do stuff? And so we talked about that one last week. But I do think Google wins the uh, the branding of this better. They have the, quote, simplicity sprint, end quote. So mm-hmm. great love the alliteration you know that's something i love it's very it's it's simple to remember so you know and to your point the the goal is in their case 20% so i think you know you're the one um i think you were talking about this last week it's like i think aws or amazon was saying 30% but you know, here they are. These are like the best of the best, right? And these companies are publicly coming out saying, like, we need to find, or if you will, reduce developer toil. To kind of, you know, lean into your your previous webinar, which I'm sure you you can link to. Uh, um, they're they're identifying somewhere between twenty and thirty percent themselves, and this is the best of the best. So, I, I I do think it's like this is maybe a group therapy podcast for all of us. It's like, well, that's I mean hey if the best of the best is is still at 20 or 30 percent like you shouldn't feel so uh distraught that maybe you're not as you know you don't have everything 100 percent automated in your company and like people are frustrated it's like it just shows you how difficult um developer toll is to address
0: yeah yeah i you know i mean it's another thing that smells of uh of like freshly printed floppy discs right where it's like there's there's often reasons why you need those three people in the room and uh you've got to do some sort of business case that kind of goes through like, well, is it worth spending the time to figure out uh, having only two people? Or is it just sort of like, I don't know, things are fine. And I guess I guess that's kind of what gets revealed when, when a highly profitable, successful company like this kind of starts to talk about productivity is like, you do start to find that line of like, uh, you know, we would like to get back into the zone of absurd amounts of money <laughs> <laughs> instead of where we are so finally we can we can uh, tack back to doing things which
1: but now someone in the slack brought this up and you know i'd love to get your take kote because you've done a lot of thinking about this is that they were their their whole point was that like addressing it sometimes is actually easier than just figuring out like where is the toil if you will it's Mm. like what are the areas in your let's just call it in this in this case in development of software that really are taking the most time like that in itself is not obvious right even though you know it may take too long and that you may know anecdotally um and i think this is what they were saying at aws it's like too much quote-unquote button clicking right you're like oh i'm just stuck in the console and i'm just clicking buttons i'm not developing um but that's sort of like while you may know that instinctively it's like well which you know what i mean like which buttons are you clicking what are you configuring right and then you may have one conversation and it's like well it takes a while to set up you know the load balancers and it's like well what are you saying there like we don't want the load balancing or load balancing is a complicated thing and so um and i think just that whole idea that like it this is probably something where the the, quote-unquote bias for action at least the action of like reducing the amount of time probably works against like actually does everyone actually ever say like hey we need a bias for understanding like we need to actually understand and right, right, right. why it takes so long and where the real bottom necks are, because if we never do that. We probably just end up solving really small problems that are isolated, that don't necessarily take up much time. And so maybe that's the, the next level um, that the simplicity sprint or the AWS builders units are trying to do. It's like, you need someone to do like actual user research on what's taking so long.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I mean, that's where the whole like, you know, lean manufacturing stuff comes in is like, uh, Part part of the virtuous cycle of having a learning culture in place is that you're constantly asking the questions you're asking, Brandon. Not not that you're asking, but that you're talking about asking. And that just like any habit, once you put this habit in place of saying like, why are there three people in the room? It's something that becomes more efficient to do because you're doing it all the time without also having a meeting with three people to figure out why you're having a meeting with three people, right? (laughs) Kind of like... Right? In, in, in in the best of all possible things, it's like, why something like, the, you know, Amazon's uh, 69 principles or 68, 72, how many they have at this point, like why they are handy, because it just becomes like second nature to do it. And you can just kind of fall back to it to be like, oh, principle 53 says that, like, you know, when we come to a meeting, we should do the following. And so you don't have to like, I don't know, you don't have to like think about how to think about it. And so with, you know, with, with all of the lean learning stuff, like you're constantly like evaluating if there is a better way to do something. It's, it's, it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to launch the initiative for improvement. It's like that initiative always exists
1: now. Right. Like you've kind of built it into the system. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. And, and so, you know, that is, that is a good, I think it's a very hard thing to introduce that kind of thinking into an organization and this might be for all the like over the years, like sort of like looking askance at like culture things like that might be a kind of a good indicator of a sustainable corporate culture when they make an almost nauseatingly big deal out of always learning and exploring stuff. Right. And when there's some proof of it that there's, there's kind of reaction to it and doing things because ultimately for a multi-decade long company, that's what they're going to face, especially in technology. Now, somewhat related. As you were going over that, you were making me realize, and I always forget this, like when, whenever there's a discussion of like Google and Facebook and these other companies, I, I should always be cautious when we get obsessed about talking about the developers and like how they need to improve and do better. Because like, well, how about the people selling ads? Like, I mean, like Google's core business is I think the money they get from Apple for being the default no that's the other way around. They pay Apple a ton of money right mm-hmm. to be the default the search default thing search engine, yeah and then, like most of their money comes from advertising right Ad and works, so yep. so, so it's sort of like are are there not like people who are sort of like you know your 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 Don Draper? The types of people Don Draper would talk with, who are like buying ads and selling yeah, ads. no, they and so, have a like,
1: huge office in New York City. They have a lot of people right, right. selling and, ads. Yeah, and so
0: there. so so it's sort of like hopefully the developers are kind of like I mean sure I could be more efficient, but like maybe could you go sell some more fucking ads? Right, like <laughs> so so it, it's and and granted these comments were like at the coding conference and things like that, but it always makes me curious. Like so, what is? the deal with, like, the business side, right? Never right. mind, like, what, what the, you know, the developers are up to and how they can improve, but, like, are there, like, what, and this doesn't get talked about very much, but, like, I wonder what the innovation is for, like, all right, Google, uh, you know, ad salesperson, you're going to cold call someone like what's that technology like right <laughs> or like like when you when you're sending out like the email like what what is if we think about like in the same way that the the these these advertising driven tech companies are like uh and 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 Amazon's a little more transparent or you can see a little bit more about how Amazon's business actually functions but like what is the innovation they're doing in advertising selling right because that mm-hmm. would seem to be like the basis of what they have like you can always get your developers to like i don't know do real time auctions better or maybe you can't maybe that's an issue but then you also need to like run your ad business a lot better and that that would be fun to hear do they have a conference about that like how to
1: sell ads better google i think you know uh as i mentioned last week i read this youtube book and i thought it was interesting a couple bigger things from google came out of it and so maybe this kind of back to your cultural point so Maybe it's a little, I'll ask you a couple questions, uh, Kote, but we'll also kind of like throw it out to the audience. Maybe they can confirm or deny this. So one of the things in the YouTube book they talk a lot about is that, I guess, a cultural term that Google uses, like when they're talking about problems and maybe maybe someone proposes what you just said is like, why don't we have a, a team just do a lot more insights, uh, sales and phone calls, right? And so what, what potentially I think a Google person would say to you or a Google cultural thing would be like, Kote, it doesn't sound very googly. Right. It's like you're not mm-hmm. using like a lot of data and creating some automated system, right, to solve this big problem that scales, because most of the time, like, you know, the ad buying is really this online auction that's all done through computers. And once you've kind of signed up the big advertisers, you they're not really buying, you know, it's not like a person is buying. It's like sort of like the systems are doing it. Right. So. So I'm interested in one is, like, is this – this is what I'm always kind of interested in a lot of these books. Like, I don't know. Like, this was written in a book that was well-reported about YouTube, and that that's this term Googly. Like, people will use it as a reminder to kind of reinforce the culture, just like at AWS. And I think we have a lot of evidence that AWS does use the terms. Like, they'll say – people that work at AWS will say it's the day one. They'll reference that a lot. So that is yes. – like, They use that cultural uh, touchstone a lot. I believe that they write six-page memos. So these aren't things they just talk about, they do. So I'm interested is like, do the people that, the Googlers working at Google, do they actually use that term "Googly" or have some type of cultural touchstone that they use when they say it? So if you can confirm that, I'd love for someone to say like, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Or they'll just say that the person that wrote the YouTube book, like he sort of bought into some kind of narrative that some executive was selling and it really wasn't ultimately... um, You know, true. So that's one thing. And the other thing, uh, from a cultural standpoint, that this book referenced, and I would love for someone to confirm this is that Google, which I don't know if Google invented the OKRs, like I think it came out of them. I don't know. From like Intel or something, right? Right. But the thing that I read in the book that they mentioned is that the OKR, so I guess the results part of it, the R part, mm. is somehow, I guess that metric is posted next to your your name inside the Google online directory. So Kote, like I don't know what your R would be, but like if we went to the directory, I could see like this is your objective, and here's the graph that's showing whether or not you're meeting it. And I was like, huh, wow. Sounds like sounds interesting. Like, I don't know. I could see a lot of ways. Like one, I'm just like what curious of like does that really happen? Because that, that in itself is interesting. Someone actually took the time to write measurable results and has a way to track it. Like, wow, it's re- I don't know. Just interesting. Like, to me, kind of interesting. And then, too, it's like, wow, if it does, it could seem like it would have potentially a lot of un, um, you know, all incentives that work the wrong way. But maybe that's okay. Maybe at least you'd have incentives and you could kind of constantly adjust it. And so kind of back mm. to your advertising thing. That's what Google seems to be doing a lot is like they sort of create these big systems with, you know, if you will, different incentives. And then they kind of reweight the incentives to create new behavior. So that would be sort of like the Google way right. of uh, managing a company. So i wonder. wondering. So I'm just throwing it open. I don't know, Google. I don't know if you personally, Cote, can tell me if either one of those things are factually correct. But if anyone that's worked at Google or has experience with Google wants to tell me like, oh, that's actually true. Anything I said was true or maybe that was just a made-up narrative. And you know what they're doing? Maybe they're stuck in workday like the rest of us just with those stupid text boxes being like, got to write something in here now for a goal, right? Got to figure it out, right? So um, I'm really fascinated to know if that's the case because it is sort of like an interesting, different way um, to manage a culture than at least than I think AWS, for example. It's sort of like we don't hear that kind of stuff at AWS. We hear more the brute force, make the phone calls, uh, to your point.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean it I uh, I I feel like maybe I I I have I have so many doubts about the following but I I think it we should have arrived at this point in 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 the the corporate world uh, of humanity that like you can't publish numbers on people like that that seems like Maybe we need like the 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 DevOps five community to really nail this one. You got you had the automation, you had whatnot, the uh, like all the other stuff, observability, but they should really kind of sort out like you know according to the twenty twenty four DevOps report, organizations that associate a performance number with people uh, are failures. I think <laughs> we, we, maybe in the Excel the 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 new edition of Accelerate they can work on that because it seems like. I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like that works long term or I could be totally wrong, but someone should make a ruling on that finally. Right. Because you can bring in your dimming and the other guy like you can bring all these people to kind of like do some sort of like uh, Mortal Combat style battle between we should use metrics and numbers to evaluate individuals versus we should not. And well, like, I don't know.
1: Take something simple. Like, I don't know. Should a salesperson be measured against the quota? Like that's probably the most well-known metric is, yeah, out yeah. there like what do you think i don't know is it a good is it is it good is it bad
0: yeah no it's it's uh you know and then there there's other models where like we're, we're that essentially are like we we just paid the salespeople a normal salary
1: yeah and, and then and, yeah and then it just worked yeah so i mean that's sort of like one of those weird like has anyone run like the a b test and i guess you could call it like account management sometimes they just refer to that as account management versus like a salesperson like if you're a you know account manager sort of like you're just you know, call them up, make, make sure they're happy, you know, pay a good salary, but you're not like pushing someone every month to like close a new deal. Right. Does that yeah, ultimately yeah. make more money than, uh, but I do think, I don't know, like I, this is why I'm just fascinated. Like if it actually exists, cause I'm like, part of me is like, wow, that would be some incredible clarity. It's, like you came in and I kind of think about this, like, I bet you have this for your own job. It's like, especially when you're working in kind of this, this white collar uh, jobs, like you kind of create your own little dashboard. Like, do you kind of like keep track of the stuff you're working on? And like, maybe for you, it's like, events and things like, like you kind of want to track like, Oh, I did this piece of content or I did this. And, and uh, so everybody, I think kind of creates their own thing. And I was like, wow, it'd be interesting if I walked into a job on my first day and I clicked on my name and then they showed me a graph of like, okay, here's the things we're tracking for you and they're like and you could like see it and i'd be like part of me is like that would be good but then part of me would be like hmm like if i don't feel like i had control over that would i just be like oh i'm just like just a constant form of stress um like the one that they talked about in the youtube book was like they were trying to get to like I don't know, so many like billions of views or something, or, you know, uh, like some kind of revenue number. I was like, wow, that would be hard every day to like see that and be like, are we working towards it? But, but maybe that at the same time, maybe that's the way that you stay focused in on it. Right. So. Right. Right. No, um, I,
0: I think, I think that's a good example. Cause it's sort of like if you, I don't know the numbers, but let's say you had uh, let well, well, let's put another way. Let's say you're a gigantic bank that has like, I don't know, at least a trillion in holdings and like, however many untold billions in revenue a year right and and the corporate goal you know instead of billions of views is like we need to increase this month's revenue by a billion dollars and then it's like out of out of your 10 000 to 20,000 software developers someone goes to Brandon and they're like here's a dashboard right it ha- it has that billion dollars on there and you're just like cool
1: like, <laughs> but the one they would have. Okay, so the dashboard developers would probably get would be Jira, right? They'd probably have a certain amount of tickets and then have story points, and then they they could you could basically pull from Jira and be like, okay, how many how many stories did you close? How many tickets did you close? Um, right, right. You, you, have, like, you have to. have – I mean, yeah, that's what they're doing today, right? Developers, I think, or anyway, the the Scrum masters, all of them, like they're all tracking that, but like nobody. I'd say rarely do people like tie it to specific performance. Like if you do this, it's better because yeah, there's yeah. always extenuating circumstances. They're like, well, it turns out the story we assigned was like impossible. Right. And th- or, or vice versa. It's like this person's killing it because they're just making like cosmetic changes to the website that only take a few <laughs> minutes. So like, so that's where you get into all the incentives. It's like, well, who's going to take on a hard project that could take, it could almost be unknown whether or not it's going to work, right? Right, right. And that, like, that, hey, that goes. I want- the colors i want to do the rebranding i you know yeah. you just want to do like this the quick tickets right and so and then of course you may be like well we're going to disincentivize that Be like i'm only going to give you credit for big stories then it's like well no one ever fixes the small things you know and so that's true so you kind that's of quickly it, it, it quickly moves where like these dashboards i think would quickly become a weapon in both directions right product management the same thing it's like you should be talking to more customers suddenly everyone's talking to customers no one's actually writing requirements right or vice versa right like Hey, you got to put out a a requirements document once a week. It's like, well, suddenly you're doing no market research. So, so you always get into problems when you get into these OKRs, right? You're like, hmm, you're taking away some, if you will, an intelligent person to be like, I'm going to figure out what's most important. But at the same time, maybe that's not, maybe that's OK. Right. I don't, you know, yeah, so I, yeah. arguing at every side of it. So I realize I have no real position. That's why I'm like, I just want somebody to tell me like, Hey, does it work at Google? Are people happy with it? Cause maybe we should adopt this.
0: Well, I, I think, I think I have three things and then maybe we can move on to the bureaucracy. One is like, I think, I think the there's, there's two things I think that uh, to use this phrase a third time over the years, we get fascinated with, with these tech companies. One is when they are just like on that rocket ship and going crazy and saying all sorts of stuff, right? And we're just like, that sounds great for all the money that you're making. Good good people on rocket ships say all sorts of stuff, right? And then eventually the rocket ship sort of like starts to sputter and like they might have achieved like some great orbital pattern, but they're starting to stress out a little bit. And and I think at that point, that's when like it becomes super useful to look at them because it kind of road tests out like their theories of why they were successful and what was going on as they... Not so much like no one really wants them to like fail or whatever, but you can like it's, it's kind of like a renewal of how useful is like this culture and this way of thinking for sustaining a business and also fixing the business that you're in evolving. Right. And I think this is one of the reasons why people admire the, the strategy and business side of Amazon so much, because like it seems to be working right. Like, yeah. you know, they uh, famously they were like this fire phone. Boy, we sure did love that. But it's gone. Right. So like they they like, you know, and, and to a certain extent, Google does that, too, for inscrutable reasons. They just get rid of stuff. But uh, so one, there's that like it's, it's really fascinating as companies struggle is one way of putting it. But as they strive to succeed uh, when the headwinds come in, like that's very instructive. Now, two, I think you identified one of the things that like. It must be crazy for salespeople like when they get sent on like this suicide mission and they're like your job is to get five million dollars this year out of this company that in no way wants to work with us and i just like <laughs> i could never imagine like the mentality of a salesperson who's just like oh okay right like you do it right You're yeah start just, making the
1: phone calls yeah yeah and, yeah and
0: and and it's also like in in moments like that that's when you like you know, it's, it's like, you know, trying to sell like, uh, you know, a glass of water to a fish. It's just like, what, what kind of strategic direction are you giving people? Now, third, I think you, you probably know like what, what business term book term this is or bias, but I almost feel like when it comes to metrics, having experienced lots of different ways of doing metrics. And I mean, I'm lucky in the situation I am in my entire career with metrics, but like I feel like if I was given a set of metrics to succeed at to the point of the salesperson that were accurate and good, it would show like such an understanding from management at the organization that you wouldn't actually need the metrics, ironically, yeah right like like figuring yeah. out what metrics you would use to track things. At some point if you do it well enough, you don't really need the metrics because you understand how the business functions. You understand like how you're going to grow the business. You understand like what you might do to grow the business. And so the better the metrics, the less you need them. I think might be. Yeah. No, the, you're the right kind because I think the
1: there. work of understanding the business at that level would give you such intro- such knowledge that you're going to succeed regardless. And I think that to me is why I think it's so kind of like fascinating. to to think about doing this, right? Or, you know, if you got to that level, you really would understand all all the things in your business. And imagine, like, just hypothetically, imagine this, if someone offered you a job, be like, hey, coach, I want you to do this. And they actually sent you, like, not not the job description but they actually sent you like the blank dashboard okay yep this is what we're doing and like here are here's your dashboard you're going to be measured against and here's like your the numbers you have to hit and here's like you know doing a good job here's doing a great job here's doing an excellent job like wow that would be incredible like you would like you would have everything you need to know about like hmm do i want to take this job because you would do the calculus you'd be like i know i have a really good idea about how i will hit these metrics uh And if it wasn't, if they were like, you know, way off and you had the ability to select different jobs, you just be like, no, I don't want to do that. Right. So it's kind of like the, um, but like no one ever does that in an interview, right. In an interview that, you know, you're going to get like a million questions about yourself. Tell me a time that you did this and this and this. Um, but like, if you just said to like them, I was like, yeah, send me the dashboard that this position's measured against and send me the, the, the metrics that I'll be judged against. (laughs) I think you're probably not going to get that. Right. You know, I mean, I think they'd probably be like, uh you're not going to make it here. Like you're too rigid, right? That would probably be the response. would be oh, like, you're too, too rigid. rigid. That's not how, how it works. It's like, well, I mean, why not? Like, why not ask for that, right? You have a dashboard for everything else. Like, you know, and and then, I, so I don't know. I think it's a fascinating uh, thing to do. I don't think it can be done though, right? And I think maybe we'll end on this. Like so, something to kind of give us all hope, right? There was a, a study that was released that we didn't mention. I think I put it in last week's show notes. It said that the number one indicative thing about becoming a successful venture capitalist is to, uh, in your first few investments, make an incredibly successful investment. So, like, invest in yes. Google first uh, because then once you've done that, it's, it's statistically, you're not likely to find another Google, but you're statistically likely to do well because people will come to you because they know that you were one of the original investors in Google or any high-tech startup. So um, that is a shorthand for just saying it's just another kind of like halo effect kind of luck thing. It's like, well, if you invest in the number one thing, um, you're probably going to have a good career. And and to some degree, that's not controllable. And so we'll apply this to Google for a second, because Melissa Mayer and uh, Susan wojcicki I don't know how to say your last name, the the CEO of YouTube. So, you know, it just so happens that both of those people – were essentially within the first 20 employees. And in fact, Google was actually started out of Susan's garage. She rented it to them. And it just so happens that those two people that they picked went on to become uh, you know, essentially you know, billionaires or at least making hundreds of millions of dollars and running, becoming CEOs of largely uh, some of the biggest internet companies in the world, that being YouTube and Yahoo. So you can either say that was incredible in their first you know, 10 hires, that they found this much talent or you could say it just pays to be early. You know what I mean? It's like if you're the early one and you can also pick on some other people at Facebook, I think Bosworth, right? Bos as he's known was like in the first 10 employees and things like that. So, so being a first employee at a internet startup, that's really successful. That is a great way to be successful going forward. So maybe like if we kind of balance it all out, be like, maybe it's not so much about OKRs. Maybe it's about a little bit of luck and also picking the right job and doing a good job at actually that job that you get but all those things like they may not be controllable right you know you may work at cote some startups that just they just don't take off and you know what you're just just another uh just another person that worked at a startup that didn't succeed there's a lot of us out there
0: uh, it's true it's you know the sooner you're successful the longer you'll have to be <laughs> successful i i think is or i i think i think it might have been uh, uh that 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 uh john syracuse the guy who said like i The fundamental flaw with with my strategy, my career strategy is I didn't become a millionaire at a younger age, I I think is, is, uh, you know, all all you got to do is that. Well, speaking of becoming
1: a millionaire at a young age, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy this week? We do. I want to thank Felix for writing in. Uh, I sent him some stickers in Germany. He's uh, <clears throat> listening through, I think, I think he was also listening through the back catalog. I have several people have said to me, like, they're oh, I've been listening for a long time. They've been listening through a lot of the back catalogs. So everyone that's going through the old episodes, I, I, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I'm always amazed when I hear that. Uh, if you'd like a sticker, all you have to do is email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. A few other kind of uh, quick things here. One, I I just want to say Grafana, Grafana really kind of, you know, I don't want to say we have a lot of uh, uh, intellectual privacy that we need, uh, property rather, that we need to defend. But I think the SDT thread, right, that that we kind of started this. So Grafana has now reported that they have a Slack thread over 10,000 messages. I'm just like, that's, listen, we clearly started this. We own this. I don't know what they're doing. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna imply that they're cheating. That they those aren't real messages from real users. <laughs> they're they're probably some type of bots that are putting in there. The software-defined talk thread, for those not familiar, was something Matt Ray started several years ago. It is now seven thousand eight hundred forty-six messages deep. But it's all. But it's listen. It's all real people talking about kind of one subject or not one subject depending on how you you read it so i wanted to congratulate everyone in the software defined talk thread keep it going and listen let, let's not be discouraged and you know grafana will not win i just i just i just want to say that right now grafana back off back off our area uh and then finally i just wanted to also say that some people in the slack some people comment uh that they'd like to see how the podcast is made so If you are such a person that you want to do it, what you can do is you can watch this live recording on Twitch or YouTube or if after the fact, all of, uh, if you will, the the back, uh, the back background of recording, if it's interesting to you, is available on YouTube. If you will, that's our, our bootleg feed. It's not really a bootleg because it's available publicly, but it, it has no editing. It just has <laughs> uh, whatever we say comes out. Whereas, believe it or not, the podcast is edited. Sometimes people ask that, yes, there is editing in the podcast, which maybe that is hard to believe. But if for some reason you wanted to see behind the scenes, I just know we haven't mentioned a long time, you can go to the YouTube channel. I'll put a link in this specific show notes that's always there, but I'll actually put a link to this specific video. If you want to check it out, if that's interesting to you, I know some people like to see behind the scenes other, and it's fine. If that's not your thing, if you're not interested in it, I totally get it. You don't, you don't have to watch it, but just wanted to let you know it's available. And then we do record. If you want to get in, uh, uh, and watch it live with us we do watch the chat we try to answer some questions and we usually do that on twitch so all right so that's a lot of us promoting ourselves kote so i'll turn it back over to you
0: well i'm, sh- I'm sure you're gonna do some uh detailed editing of all my pin clicking uh that I was gonna do. You- you're gonna <laughs> go word for word where i pause take that out it- it'll be it'll be great yeah
1: i guess we yeah. should maybe we'll reveal like sometimes like i don't know if people want to see it but sometimes i guess it is like if there is someone producing the show i guess it's me so sometimes it's like me sort of like either suggesting berating making fun of Matt. And, uh-huh. Cote for like, you know, not doing the right thing or something like that. So yeah, I don't know if that's true. interesting. Hopefully it's all in good fun. I don't think anyone, you know, Matt or Cote, I don't think you take any offense to it. But that's, that's what you see in the YouTube channel, if that's, no. if that's your interest level. That's right.
0: Well, uh, th- there's several conferences coming up, not least of which is uh, my favorite conference of the year, Spring One, which is coming up December 6th and 8th. There'll be a lot of software development stuff there, DevOpsy things, all this cloud business. But if you go to springone.io... You can check it out, Uh, and if you use the discount code COTE200, you can get $200 off registering. There's also KubeCon North America coming up October 24th and 28th. There is the, uh, you know, they have their EU one, I think in March, I heard, uh, which maybe we'll have to check into that as well. And then finally, in October 13th, there's going to be the Sydney Cloud FinOps meetup that uh, Matt Ray will be presenting at. So you should check that out if you're in Sydney or, I mean, basically anywhere in Australia. It's just a few hours' drive to get to Sydney, is my understanding. It might be longer if you're coming from New Zealand, uh, but you should go check that out. Uh, And with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week?
1: Uh, This one is a a tip that I think everyone probably knows, but I'm going to give it out anyway, is that there is a way in Microsoft Teams um, you can basically, what they call PowerPoint Live. And so the problem is... Oftentimes, if you want to share a presentation, at least oftentimes the way that I do it and other people do it is you kind of share your whole screen and then you put your slides into presenter mode. The problem, though, is then you kind of lose your whole screen. You kind of lose track of where you are and people are trying to like chat you and things like that. So uh, in Microsoft Teams and I know other, you know, Zoom has its own. You can actually just it's pretty nice. You can just upload the presentation and then it's nice because it kind of gives you the window of what the the, uh, if you will, the, the attendees can see, but you don't lose your whole screen, right? You can sort of like flip around the slides and you can still interact with the chat. And you can also see your, your, if you will, your um, notes in your presentation as well. So I had not really used it. It's been, I think it's been in there for a while, but someone pointed it out to me and I was like, oh, that's good to know. Now, if you're not a Teams person or that's not something you want to do, someone else in the Slack suggested you can just use the reading mode in powerpoint so instead of taking over your whole screen it does a nice job and just gives you the nice pain of the slide but it doesn't take over the screen so you know i think all these presentation software tools ha- have come up with different ways of doing this but like at one point like the thought was like yeah we're all in the same room and you want your whole screen to be black as we all know when you're doing like a, a web presentation you actually don't want your whole screen black you want some other ways to do it so uh, i think this powerpoint live kudos micro team microsoft teams for doing it a long time ago i think zoom has something similar and then reading mode, which is like the icon I've just never clicked on in PowerPoint, I've probably been using it for like <laughs> exactly. 20 plus years. I was like, oh wow, that's pretty cool. So that was another like like hidden gem, if you will, on the uh, the Microsoft toolbar ribbon. So uh, check those out if you give presentations. Just another way to make it, make your life a little easier. And and that, that that reading
0: mode thing is a tip only because we are part of the Software Defined Talk Slack community, which you could sign up for if you went to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash slack and uh or just click on the slack link i think i think i think it's only in the past year that i've learned if there's an upload your presentation for uh option for your your uh your zooms or your teams you should try that out or your bright talk it's not it's not uh it's not crap it's good stuff well my recommendation i had a little bit of a sore throat last week and uh i asked uh my wife kim to go get me some cough drops and as she often does she bought me a variety pack but she got me some fisherman's friend which i've had many times in the past but they're not only like a good cough drop, but my, my, uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old, she decided to empty them out into this little ramekin that I have on my desk. And I've had it here for about a week, and I play around with it. But then every now and then, I'm kind of bored, and I'll just put one in my mouth. And it's a, it's a, you wouldn't think, of it, think the fisherman's friend would be kind of like a nice little treat. But it's, it's not so bad, even if you don't have a, a sore throat. It's just, uh, so you should keep some fisherman's friend around. I think they're just uh, lovely little companions for your desk and your sore throat. Now, speaking of lovely companions, little companions, you've been listening to Software Defined Talk, which if you want to get the show notes for things we talked about, conferences, how to join the Slack, and all sorts of things we didn't talk about, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 379 and find all of that. You should subscribe to this podcast. It's really easy. You just search in whatever uh, podcasting catcher I don't know what the kids call it nowadays, software. Search for software to find talk, subscribe to it. Get all of the devices that you have, your kids, your loved ones, your enemies, subscribe it to it. That, that'll be great. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. In today's After Show, Brandon and I are thinking of a new format that, that would be paid, but it would be high quality. So if you are interested in that, I mean, we're thinking $10 a month, that's U.S. dollars, and uh, which we can totally do. I mean... Technically. And uh, if you're interested in what we were going to talk about here, you should tell us. And I don't know, like we probably need n- not that many. We just need uh, some growth rate, but uh, it'd be a, a fun thing to try out to do. And not, not fun. And remember in the blogging days, people would be like, I'm just experimenting with this. We're not experimenting. We're trying to make extra money. There's no experimentation. It's, uh, that, that would be great. All right. So if you're interested
1: in that, email us uh, with any input at questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, and we think it's a good idea, we'll look into creating some type of paid feed.
0: And I want to be crystal clear, you do not need to send your mailing address to that email address because I know that's what you're used to if you email
1: us. And with that, Kote's daughter will say goodbye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.